Okay, good morning, one and all. My name is Adrian, if you don't know me, and you are very, very welcome here if this is your first time around us. If this isn't your first time around us, of course you're welcome. Uh, if you are regular here, you'll know that I've not been around uh, for a number of weeks. Uh, had a mini sabbatical, which has been very, very nice, uh, and I feel very refreshed from it. So thank you for allowing us to do that, those of you who are regular here. Some of you are thinking, man, like, why do you need time off? Uh, it's just good to have time off. I think in it, I think there's loads of things I could share from it. One thing I think I'll do today, uh, I think out of it, what did I get? I think it's good sometimes to pause. Uh, and for me, it was like a long pause moment. And just get perspective again that ultimately, in living, following Jesus, I get to live knowing that I'm basically a pot and he's the potter. Uh, and therefore, God's the one who shapes my life. It's not me trying to work hard to do it. Uh, and that's, that's kind of what I'm living with at the moment more and more of just saying, actually, I just want to keep humbling myself before God and saying, your way, not my way, uh, as life kind of works a lot better that way. Um, but today, let's start with a different question, actually. Um, it's Father's Day. And I recognize for different ones of us that will mean different things. But I guess I want to pose a question. You don't have to answer it. Just consider it. What did you learn from your father? What did you learn from your father? My guess is that it can fit into two camps. For some of us, it'll be, hey, I learned all of these things. For others of us, it'll be, actually, I learned to not do these things. We'd have all learned stuff. I, I think for my kids, they've learned numbers of different things. I think uh, probably one of the things that they've most learned is road safety. And they've learned road safety, but also a love for early 90s dance music. Um, because the two always go hand in hand. And so when our kids were learning that you need to stop as you get to the curb, and I use this as the side of the curb, we'd walk up to the curb. And as we're getting there, I'd suddenly go, stop! Hammer time! Oh, 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 And my kids genuinely thought that's what road safety was. I'd grown up with a green man who kind of somehow appeared and told you to not to cross the road. It didn't work. I needed MC Hammer to be present. And so my kids would do that. And still, it's an instinctive muscle that if you go along to them and you're going near the road, you went, stop! They'd all suddenly go, information. Hammer time! Oh, 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 oh. Now, if you're a parent here, you can have that one for free. Um, it's, a, it's a great parenting tool. Now, in it, there's also things I think I've done that are not so great. And so I think it's when you see your kids when they're really small and it's getting to that point of packing the car and they say, I'm going to join you. And how they join you is they start to shout at all the other people because they're not doing it quite right. And you realize at that moment that what they're modeling is what they've learned from you. Because you realize, oh, that's how I pack the car? This is awful. I need to change it. You see, the stuff that we learn from our father that is good, and we say, that's what I should do, the stuff that we see and think, man, I, I don't want to do that. I, I got my dad in the room, um, which is amazing. And I learned loads of great stuff from my dad. It's Father's Day, and I thought, hey, I don't often talk about my dad, but he's in the room. I knew he'd be some, going to say something, because he won't. Here's the reality with my dad. He cannot cope with the fact that I'm going to say something nice about him. So I've got that out there. But the reality is my dad taught me what it looks like to continuously put other people first. And that's what he does in his life. I recognize anyone who's a regular in Oasis will know that if you ask my dad for something, the answer is generally, yes, I'll try and make that happen. 
And there's something in there of just, actually, I want to live seeking the best of other people. And I, I got hold of that for him and from him. And my guess is for each of us, we can think of those things that, yes, this is what I got from my dad that was good, as well as for some of us, maybe it, was, it just wasn't a good relationship. And actually, from that, what I took was just, I, I want to not be like that. And not surprisingly, Jesus, when he looks at like what it looks like to follow him, says, hey, you've got to remember now that you're part of a different family. You've got a, a different father, the kind of plumb line of all fathers. And when you look at him, you need to see what you learn from him. And so Jesus points at the heavenly father and says, hey, remember this. So in Luke 6, 36, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Like you're now part of this new family and your learned behavior is going to be, actually what you see about this heavenly father is one who's filled with mercy. So be like him. Be like that father. Now mercy, what does that look like? Well, mercy is all about seeking to see how others are. Seeking to understand what's going on in other people's lives. And then seeking to do something about it. So not surprisingly then, when Paul describes who God as a father is, in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3, he then goes on to say, well, this father, this God who is father, is a father of what? Compassion. One who sees the plight of we humans. But he's also the God of all comfort, the one, the plumb line, the origin of all comfort. Not only sees what's going on in our lives, but it's the one who can then come and meet us in our greatest need. That's what it looks like to have this father, a heavenly father who's out for us, out, out of his love for us, seeking to what? Seeking to continuously reveal his compassion and his comfort. Why? Because he's a merciful father. And you can sometimes think, well, is there a limit then? Well, Paul kind of continues, Ephesians 2, 4, he just says, oh no, this God, oh, he's rich in mercy. Man, as a culture, we love to look at wealth. We can all say, oh no, no, we don't, we don't, we don't. No, we really, really like to look at wealth, both to judge people who are wealthy or to envy people who are wealthy. Or maybe you're in this room and you just are wealthy. Well, you're very, very welcome. Um, um, <laughs> And in it, there's, there's that thing, isn't it? So we have these rich lists. And in it, you're thinking, man, what do they do with their wealth? And it's just like, oh, they can do all this stuff. And we get so bound to material things. And yet we're told here that we've got this father who is the father of the universe, who is what? Rich, wealthy, in mercy. Man, what a statement. One who's continuously longing to reveal how merciful he is to you and to me, to the whole of humanity, to the whole of creation. And therefore, it's not a surprise that when Jesus reveals and says, hey, let's live with this family trait that's all about who the Father is, that he then starts to zoom in in these beatitudes that we've been looking at over the past few weeks, of showing what this life of following him looks like, this life within this family that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this loving community that always existed in love, there's actually, you know what it looks like? Matthew 5, verse 6 says this. 
Oh, this life, it's characterized like this. Be blessed, and you're blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. All these different statements of what this life, is rich following of Jesus looks like. He says, oh, well, it's all about the family trait. It's all about who the father is. And as you follow me, as you live within this new family, this eternal Godhead family that you're invited into through following me, how are you going to be characterized by what we're characterized? Mercy. So blessed are the merciful, congratulated, to be celebrated. Those who get to pronounce, there's this good news. You show mercy, how oh, you get to receive mercy. Is that really what Jesus is saying? That actually we need to be those who work hard at showing mercy because as we do that, we then get to earn mercy. No, no, that's, that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's actually saying, because of the mercy that you have received, of course you're then going to live out of that place. And the only way that you can possibly live out of the place of receiving mercy is showing mercy. Because each and every one of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've come into that experience of knowing and receiving mercy and being invited to live a life that's being restored into who you're truly meant to be as a human being that is shaped by who God is, and therefore is shaped by this Father who's full of mercy. Maybe you're here and you say, but hey, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I'm kind of here as maybe a friend of Rob and Vicky's. And I just kind of wanted to see their kid get something done. I wasn't quite sure about it. Or maybe you're here just investigating kind of what is this all about. Well, today maybe it's a moment of discovering that what is on offer here, what Jesus came to announce, and why it is such good news isn't you need to do something, but rather you need to receive something. And there is mercy for you as I personally have received this mercy. Therefore, Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. But as I said, you first have to remember that you've received mercy. So Jesus told stories. The whole of the Bible, to be honest, is a story from the beginning to the end of God's mercy. There's so many different ways you can read the Bible, but one of them is, just read it if you want to say, how does God reveal himself as merciful? It's there from the beginning to the end. But then when Jesus comes on the planet, who is God? He then tells stories to reveal something of mercy. So he tells a story, a story about a lost son. He starts off with two sons. Man, in the culture they were living in, man, if you were, had two sons, you were very blessed. Now in it, the older son always got most of the inheritance, and then the younger son got kind of to live under the blessing of the older son. But in this story, Jesus kind of turns it on its head and says, oh no, this younger son, he realizes how wealthy his dad is and kind of does some calculations in his head and thinks one day, this guy's going to die and there's going to be a lot left. Why wait till he dies? As Jesus tells a story about this younger son going up to his father and saying, can I have my inheritance now? In other words, I wish you were dead. Now, the father at that point, however much rejection he's feeling, Jesus just says, well, he just did the sums and said, hey, okay, here is your inheritance. And just gives him what he wants. 
And then we know we're familiar maybe with the story, but in the story, Jesus tells that this younger son takes the money and lives the high life, goes to the parties, buys the stuff that he wants. But eventually, everything that he's got runs out. And he finds himself in a desperate position. And Jesus says at that moment, to kind of point, push the, the point home, he finds himself farming pigs. Now, you understand, in this culture, in this moment, like pigs were seen as the most dirty things possible. And therefore, to be hanging out in pigs just said, you are someone who's full of shame. As we find this son who's there with the pigs, and as he's there, just realizing that he has nothing, and he's beginning to be, feel very hungry. And then he starts to look at what the pigs are eating and think, man, I wish I could have in on that. And then in this moment, he suddenly remembers his father. This father who, in his mercy, when he said, I wish you were dead, give me my money now, just gave. And he suddenly remembers, oh, that's the kind of father I've got. Maybe he'll have mercy on me. Maybe if I go back to him, I wouldn't expect I could be his son, but maybe I could be his servant. Because I know that how he treats his servant is better than this. So it says in the story, and Jesus builds this point, and the crowd who were listening in would have been like, what? This son who himself is full of shame, who brought shame upon his father, is now returning? That's out of order. This isn't a Hollywood ending story. This is one where surely the father's going to come and give him what for. And it says the son as he makes his way towards the father's house, the father sees him coming and rushes to meet him. You remember, this isn't an individualistic culture. We tend to think, oh yeah, I'm just waiting outside my flat or my house or my hostel, and I see someone coming to see me, and I just think, I'll go and see them. No one else is bothered. Because no one really matters. You know, no one else, none of my neighbors are thinking, oh, I wonder what he's up to. No, they're, on, they're going on with their lives. Now, this is a culture where everyone saw what you were doing. Everyone was watching. Because how you were honored publicly was also how you were shamed publicly. And so in this moment, as this son starts to come, the father sees him coming and runs towards him, forgetting what anyone else might think. And before the son can speak a word... The son embraces him. And the son start, the father embraces the son. And the son starts to say, well, but I'm sorry. And the father says, it's okay. You're welcome back. Gives him his robe. Gives him his ring. And says, now I share again everything of who I am on who you are. Why? Because Jesus wants to understand that's what kind of father we have in heaven one who's full of mercy. The thing is, Jesus always tells stories that are uncomfortable. And so if I was the storyteller, I'd leave it there. That's a good story. But then Jesus reminds us about this other son, the older brother. The older brother who has just stuck his time out. He's been working hard with the father, and he's just there pegging away. 
And then as he's in the field, realizes that there's a commotion on at the house. And as he peers in, he sees that there's a big party going on. Because not only has this brother been welcomed home, there's now a party in his honor where the best of the best is being served. And as this older brother looks in, he cannot stomach it. He doesn't want anything to do with that. And so the father does what? He comes out to see the older brother and beckons him in. He says, come and join me. Because remember who I am. I've always been merciful. I've always been there for you. My mercy has always been there for you to have. But the older brother says, I want nothing to do with this. And we never know. He doesn't go into the party that Jesus just ends the story there. Why? Because he wants us to see the extravagance of the Father's mercy and also how offensive it can be to our ears and then questions us to say, will we receive the mercy? Will we show that kind of mercy? Second story. We've got time. A lost sheep. Jesus tells his other story and goes, right, there's this shepherd and he's got a hundred sheep. I like that, the precise nature of knowing how many sheep this shepherd had. Now my guess is in the day and age they're living in, they knew it. Now I I assume that any shepherd knows how many sheep they have, otherwise they're going to continuously lose them and uh, not make a lot of money. So I guess that's his why. So he has precisely a hundred sheep. However, one day on his rounds, Jesus says that he realizes that of his hundred sheep, one of them is missing. Now at that point, you might be thinking, well, you know, 99 are still there. I think it's okay. That's a pretty good odd. You know, I think that's all right. I think most of us think, well, you know, you can't be perfect. And what we see here is Jesus says, oh no, this shepherd, he leaves the 99 in the safety of where they are and pursues the one that is lost. And then it says, well, this shepherd, having found, searched out and found this lost sheep, gets hold of it, throws it on his shoulders. You know, sheep, man, they're big. And they're like hanging on his shoulders, like goes back to town or the village and calls everyone and says, come on, let's celebrate. I know I had 99, but I've got 100 again. One's back. Come and celebrate with me. Jesus said, this is what the Father's like. He's merciful like this. He notices when someone's gone and pursues them to rescue them. He doesn't think, oh, that'll do. He thinks you matter. I don't know, maybe you're here this morning, you're thinking, I don't think that kind of God exists. I don't think that kind of God really sees my life and what's going on. Maybe just a different perspective slightly. Maybe the fact that you're in this room today, in this moment, is because that sort of God does exist. And he's pursuing you and really wants you to taste and see how good he is. See, Jesus told these stories of who this God of mercy is in order that we'd understand the kind of mercy that we receive. Because the mercy we receive is revealed in the one who is telling the stories, Jesus. 
who is the supreme declaration of God's, the Father's mercy to you and to me. See, what God did in revealing and sending his son on earth is he showed that he understood us. He wanted to identify with us. And so God himself took on flesh to understand our frailty, to understand the reality of the life that we live in so that we could say, oh, we truly know that you know. But only did he identify with us. He then find in Jesus that he pursues us. He came on the earth in order that we could know the Father's mercy. It isn't just that he pursues us, he then provides for us in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. He comes and says, I now pour out of all of who I am in order that you can receive everything of who I am. Because not only does he provide for us, he then shares everything of who he is. So the eternal son who has eternally known the Father's love, says to each and every one of us, come and now share in the love that I've eternally known. And that blows my brain. However much I contemplate it, that a being is there who is eternally, unconditionally loving. In other words, has never not been loving and desires that you and I live lives that are saturated, permeated by that love. And that's the mercy we then get to receive. And have you received that mercy? I have. I tell you what, it is so good. Do we still taste of it? Or do we look back in nostalgia and think, oh yeah, the mercy I knew when I suddenly realized who Jesus is and what he provides me, oh, that was good. Or is it a daily experience where we think, man, I have enjoyed so much mercy from you, Father, and the invitation is to know more. Because the invitation in what Jesus is calling us to is to be those that are living mercy. Remember, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. What does that mean? Well, I think it looks like this. It becomes like this cycle where we get to be those that are knowing mercy and showing mercy. So if you're here and you're one who've come to know the reality of the mercy of God working in your life, how that will work itself out, the more you taste of that, you, won't, you can't but help show it. And then as you show it, you realize, man, I need more of it. It never gets to a point thinking, oh yeah, I've had enough. I now can just keep giving mercy. Now this becomes a daily rhythm of me having experienced mercy. I then get to show mercy throughout my day. But within my day, I'm continuously coming saying, Father, give me more of your mercy. Everything I need to be all that I'm meant to be. What does it look like then to show mercy? Well, I'd say there's two areas. Firstly is I think it's about showing mercy to others. What does that look like? I'd say it's about identifying and understanding. Jesus came and took on flesh in order that we could look at him and know he understands. For me, the most profound moment throughout the whole of the New Testament is where he encounters the death of his friend, Lazarus. And it just says, Jesus You know what a God of mercy looks like? You don't want to know what a father of all compassion and comfort looks like? He's one who knows what it is to weep. 
And that word that's used there for kind of that Jesus wept isn't like a like Hollywood style, like little tear down the corner of his eye, just like dripping down. No, no, it's like proper, like gut wrenching tears. And have you known those moments? I have. Those moments where you just think, man, life has caved in. Jesus says, I, I know what that's like. In order that we can be those that aren't unmoved by others' suffering, aren't unmoved by what's going on, but rather we're able to put ourselves in their skin because we've understood the mercy we've received and we can say, hey, I can see and I'm seeking to understand what's going on for you. So we seek to identify and understand. It means that we have to be good at listening. Now, how quickly can we be those who, who kind of see something and think, I know what the, I know what the answer is here. And they're, they're, before someone can say anything, I know this is what you need. I do that. I know this is what you need. You don't know what I need, Adrian, because I've not even spoken yet. Oh, no, but I know. I know we need to understand and identify. And then having understood and identified, then we get to see what can we do. For me, one of the most perplexing, most amazing moments of mercy that my family have received was when we had, we've got three kids, so it's pre the, early, the youngest one. Before Becca, we called the time. And um, before Becca, which is my youngest daughter, we had two children. And uh, they were both toddlers. And we were in London staying at a friend's house. And we went for a walk around the park. Uh, it was near the house. And we were house-sitting for them. Really lovely house. And um, as we were going around the park, we get towards the exit of the park. And Lucy and I both look at each other and realize that we don't have the keys to the house. And they were the only set we've got. And we don't know where they are. They are lost somewhere in the park. Uh, and it's getting late, and our kids are hungry. And so I then set off on a way and say to Lucy, you just wait here. I'll see if I can get to a neighbor's house. If I can get to a neighbor's house, I'll break in. Because we know we've left the back door open. Probably shouldn't have done, but we did. Uh, it was like, it was a townhouse. So it had massive walls around a yard of a garden. Uh, with a railway track at the back. So I somehow blagged, and you don't need to know, the big, this isn't a big part of the story, I somehow blagged my way into a neighbor's house. I still, to this day, don't understand why they let me in, because it was the dodgiest story you've ever heard. But they let me into their house, I blagged my way, climbed over the wall, which was about 10 foot, used various things to do, dropped over, doors open, get in, get the spare set of keys, open the front door, and as I open the front door, I see... Lucy and the kids starting to make their way. The other thing I should tell you is actually at this point, as I'd been trying to get into the back, the weather was similar to what it is at the moment. It had gone from this glorious sunshine to the storm of the century, and it was just absolutely pelting down with rain. And as I open the front door, I see Lucy and our two little kids running along with plastic bags over their heads keeping dry, and kind of plastic bags for the kids, like with a, a hole cut out for the top over them. So they're kind of doing this with their head cover and kind of running along like this. As I get to the front door, I realize that there's this scent, and that the scent is alcohol. And as they get closer, I just realize, man, this is really strong. What have they been doing while I've been away? And as they get there, as they get closer, I say, at least, like, what's going on? And they kind of get in the house. Lucy says, because she's much more sensible than I. She said, can I tell you once we get in the house, rather than stay outside in the pouring rain? Oh, I guess that's a good idea. So they come in, peel off, 
And as Lucy speaks to me, she says, whilst we were stood under the railway tunnel thinking we've got to make our way back, a guy who lives on the streets with a shopping trolley walked up to us. And in his shopping trolley, he just had a load of empty bottles and stuff that he had filled in bags. And he looked at who we are and what we got and realized that we didn't have coats and have anything. And he said, look, I haven't got anything, but what I have got is these plastic bags. Please take them to keep your children and you dry. See, sometimes we think we can only show mercy when we've got lots. No, no, we show mercy by seeing what we've got and how it can be used. Whenever I'm in a moment, I always think back to that guy. I never met him. I think I want to be like him because I think he caught something of who the Heavenly Father is, who is merciful. But it's only what we do. It's also what we don't do. See, sometimes it's important not to speak. Like mercy is sometimes not saying something because it's unkind. Mercy is sometimes... Definitely not holding on to a grudge. Rather, it's doing the forgiving. Mercy is sometimes not acting. It's saying, actually, no, I'm not going to do this because actually I need to empower you to be able to do this. So mercy is about what we do to others. I'd also say sometimes mercy is about what we do for ourselves. This one we can think, no, 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 no. Surely it's mercy is out. I think I have to learn this often. Sometimes mercy isn't just what we do to others, it's also allowing mercy for ourselves. For some of us in this room, we just need to know we aren't the answer always. Sometimes it means mercy to ourselves means we would remember we are not God. At this point you're thinking, I've never thought I was God. Hey, but did you think that you were meant to be everyone's saviour? can't save yourself. And for some of us, like I have to do this, is just say, actually, I can't be this for everyone. And I have to just say, have mercy for myself. God, you be God. I'll be me. And what it does is I get to that point of then living, saying, I'm going to show mercy to others, I'm going to show mercy to myself, is I then get back into, and I want to be one who keeps receiving mercy. I don't know how you exist your day-to-day life. I am a weak, vulnerable human being. That's the reality of my life. You can hang around me for a 24-hour period and you'll see how weak and vulnerable I am. And therefore, I've got to know that in my weakness and my vulnerability, I'm one who needs an eternal father who longingly, lovingly wants to offer me mercy daily. And so I keep coming back to him saying, Father, would you give me the mercy that I need in this moment? And it's different, different moments. But Jesus is trying to get us to live this way because as we're those that know we get to be merciful, we get to be those that then continuously say, receive mercy. It's like this breathing in. I breathe in mercy. I breathe out mercy. I breathe in mercy. I breathe out mercy. How are we doing on this? Living restoration. That's what we said we're about. We're not the finished project. We're living, being restored more into who we're meant to be, those who honor God, those who reveal God. 
And part of it is those who live with mercy. How are we seeking to live more in God's mercy? How are we seeking to show mercy?